As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, Mo Manny, no problems in Liverpool's biggie with Man City. Elsewhere, come in, Mr Watford managerial sacking. We've been expecting you. We talk the Cisco Dismisco and cuddly Claudio's return. And Old Trafford, where big summer signing Ron makes the difference again. Ron Don, that is, while the other one does one down the tunnel. What does it all mean? We'll debate that and much more in this Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Well, how lovely to find you here, listener. It's Monday, the 4th of October, and you find me in the company of Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Hi, James. Fresh from revealing the score to readers of the eye. Also with us, Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Lindsay. Hi, James. Lovely to have you with us. Also, Charlie Eccleshare of The Athletic. Hello, Charlie. Hi, James. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. You look very grave today, Charlie. You're looking serious. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's because I've closed the curtains. I didn't want lots of light flooding in, but it does make me right. look like I'm sort of in mourning. So apologies or shielding, <laughs> or shielding from the rays of the sun for you know whatever, yeah, nefarious reason. Right. Okay. What what a cracking, what a dazzling uh, Premier League weekend, eh? Mm. Yeah, very good. Uh, I always like it when the Premier League signs off in style for an international break. Kind of gives us a lingering feeling of warmth to take us through the barren fortnight. Well, you, you say, Baron, but there's so much to look forward to. So many, <laughs> did, did you know it's the Nations League final coming up uh, this midweek and, and next weekend? Uh, I'll pretend that I did. Genuinely, were you not aware of that? It's extraordinary <laughs> no, how wasn't. under the radar this is, the Nations League final. And, uh, and yet, yeah, Wednesday and Thursday in Turin and Milan, the semi-finals, Spain and Italy and France and Belgium, so big games. And then at the weekend, they'll nominate, uh, well, they'll have a winner and a third, fourth playoff in case you were... Worried they might not do that. The interesting part about that is you'll have some players in the Premier League that are going away and have a lot more demands on them than other teams that are playing the likes of, I don't want to say, but Luxembourg and places like that. So you you just think, right, well, there's going to be some players who are having a bit of a, a break during this international and some who will be going full throttle. All right. And others will be heading off to red zone countries, as Jurgen Klopp was complaining. I'll have to be in a hotel room for 10 days with their meals delivered to their doors. and that. I, I'm, I'm not sure if that's going to happen, but that's maybe one of the things that we can talk about, along with some of the other lights that are coming up next weekend in a far-from-barren uh, uh, footballing uh, 
period, uh, we've got the WSL Super Sunday, of course. Round seven of the season. Man United's 1-1 draw with Everton opened up the weekend and various cans of worms, some new, some old. Also Saturday, Chelsea dispatched Southampton, Wolves saw off Newcastle, Norwich got their first point in a goalless draw at Burnley and Leeds got their first win while handing Cisco his last defeat as Watford manager. Brighton Arsenal ended goalless. Sunday, a series of surprises. Palace came from 2-0 down to draw with Leicester. Brentford beat West Ham and Spurs won a game against Villa 2-1. While at Anfield, a wild blistering second half saw Liverpool and Man City finish 2-2. So, we go into the international break with Chelsea on top. Liverpool a point behind. Man City, Man United, Everton and Brighton all level just behind them. So the whole top six separated by only two points. Oof. All right then, let's begin at Anfield. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power and part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Salah. He's done it again. Mo Salah. Still Salah. Take your hat off to Mo Salah. That's majestic. Liverpool's second there by the extraordinary Mo Salah, a goal witnessed in all its glory by our man at Anfield, Daniel Storey. Daniel... Best 45 minutes of the season, though? Yes, I think so. Certainly that I've seen. Um, the first half was was kind of Manchester City's system, sort of throttling Liverpool and doing everything but scoring. And then the second half just became a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a bun fight, really. City kind of pockmarked the half with, with squeezing Liverpool and penning them in, but it, it kind of became individual against system because Salah was was phenomenal. He had one of those games where he's kind of on the periphery, almost, dare I say it, Lionel Messi-esque in, in late Barcelona where he, he's quiet for five minutes and makes up for it. By As soon as he does get on the ball, he does something absolutely magical. And that second goal was was one of the great individual Premier League goals, I think. Mm. Yeah, I mean, top five all time, would you say, Lindsay, Charlie? Yeah, I'd agree. And I think it's because you have to take into account as well the opposition and the fact that this game was so tight. Um, And speaking of tight, getting out of tight spaces, Salah had at 1.3 City players around him. And and I was just ooing as I was watching watching it back. I watched the replay as well. Um, it, It is one of those moments, I think, that you've got to say it's akin with Messi, haven't you? I mean, if if it was Lionel Messi scoring that, then we'd all be going wild about it. So we have to go wild because it's Salah doing it. And yeah, he was he was on fire. There were moments in this game, though, I have to say throughout, which I just thought were were mind blowing. There was the the Edison ball that found Foden, which was probably the assist nearly of of the match. I mean, what a ball that was! Bernardo Silva as well, having the ball stuck to his feet like glue and going on those just majestic runs. Forward and backwards, by the way. No one could get the ball off him. There were just these moments and Salah's goal sort of then epitomised that and finished it off where you just thought, this is magical. It's stuff that we've not seen in a game. 45 minutes, like Daniel said, of, of pure pleasure. It was a shame in the first half that Liverpool weren't as at it. Um, and it is also... Is it a shame that that James Milner didn't get a red card? Um, I, I would throw that in that maybe it made this game because he stayed on the pitch and it was 11 versus 11. But 
to the letter of the law, he should have gone. I think there were three occasions where where he could have got yellows. So um, yeah, he, no he's very lucky to have, have maintained I, on the peak. I, I would agree that in terms of the spectacle, him staying on was brilliant, not least because it gave us the double act that football needs. Pep Guardiola, Angry <laughs> Pep and Mike Dean. <laughs> that is something that's got to be spun off into a kind of like a spin-off series now. You can imagine them in a Saint and Greasy format. It'd be just fantastic. The, the perfect foil. He was also involved, wasn't he, Milner, in the um, in Salah's goal. So had he gone, then we might not have had that moment. Um, I, I do think as well, like just trying to where to put it in the pantheon of great Premier League goals. I mean, my... My sort of measure in my head for measuring a great goal is how few other players could have scored it. And I don't, I can't think of many who could have scored that goal. And as Lindsay says, in a game of that magnitude to kind of step up, you know, <laughs> Georgie King Cladsey, there aren't many, I think, from like from yesteryear who would have the sort of quick feet to even maneuver the chance in the way that um, Mo Salah did. And then the finish on his wrong foot um, mm. from a pretty tight angle is. Is spectacular. I mean, it reminded me a little bit. Uh, he scored one against Everton that was, I think, mm. either won the Puskas Award or was a nominee in 2018, where he again had it in a really tight space, jinked away from a few defenders, and on that occasion, he actually curled it in on his left foot uh, into the top corner. But you know, he has that in his locker, and his work for the first goal as well was sensational. I mean, that's similarly, you know, we're making the Messi comparison. That was similarly Messi because you've got the the acceleration, the skill to beat a defender. And then the presence of mind uh, and the vision to play an amazing through ball. So, I mean, as individual performances go, I mean, maybe he was a little harsh to only get uh, a little unlucky to only get joint man of the match. Uh, Foden was great as well, but Salah was just, I mean, breathtaking yesterday. Where do you stand on the awarding of a joint man of the match? <laughs> it was one of those things I don't really care, but but I think that's because... Lots of people will have really strong views. I imagine it triggered quite a lot of people and they thought the game's gone. Uh, I can't say I'm too bothered about it. The, the game went ages ago, Charlie, to be fair. It did. I found <laughs> yeah. it amusing, though, because Neville had said, you know, wouldn't it be... And in commentary, they were like, it'd be great to do a joint interview. Then clearly a word was said to them, like, mm, bubble rules mean that can't happen. And so the next time he mentioned it, it was like, oh, of course, what with bubbles, that's probably going to be difficult. Um, <laughs> right. But it would have been nice. Okay, because uh, this follows on the, the joint gold medal at the Olympics, which, mm. again, drew a, a very pleased response from most people. But for me, it's just, what wrong with the capital W? <laughs> I can't say I'm a fan. And I, I know they probably give them a replica, but from a tidiness point of view, there in the moment, you just see them splitting the trophy in half, which can't happen. And how does that right. work? The logistics yeah. get to me, James. Half it a bottle of champagne it. each. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of half and half, Daniel, you were in a bit of a dilemma after this game. Did it prove that Man City are flawed without a number nine or brilliant because they have so many options? Equally, is it proof that Liverpool's togetherness is their greatest asset? I'm quoting here. Or that the individual magnificence of Mo Salah makes us the likeliest champions? Where do you now kind of sit on this after you know the, I, the night, the next morning? I think Manchester City do miss a number nine. And I think that's probably going to be a theme of their title challenge successfully or otherwise um, every time they drop points I think we're going to say it because they create so many chances I think playing you know they signed Jack Grealish to be uh, their new flagship attacking midfielder but on current form Bernardo Silva and Phil Foden are, are, are better than him uh, and should therefore command positions in those roles which they they have done which means that Guardiola has to, or felt he had to play Grealish as this kind of false nine striker, which 
didn't really work. I mean, I, I, I accept that he might have dragged defenders out of position and some of the impact he had was is probably left unseen. But I still want a player. I'd still rather have a player who can do that and finish chances. And Grealish isn't that player. Um, I understand that the pursuit of Harry Kane couldn't happen and that, that they didn't want to get or didn't weren't able to get Ronaldo over the line. But... I think that if they don't win the league this season, then they will regret that that omission of a signing because they are they are so dominant in every other area. The, you know, they did concede goals at Anfield yesterday, but only two individual brilliance and the way they penned in Liverpool and created those chances first half. And I mean, Foden kind of leaving poor James Milner with twisted blood for most of that first half was. Yeah, they've outplayed Chelsea and for a long period they've outplayed Liverpool in consecutive Premier League games and that's pretty daunting. Uh, yeah, you compared Milner's performance to that Gary Neville game at <laughs> right back that, <laughs> that that led him to feel that maybe... Yeah, I mean, that, that was... I mean, Twitter isn't good for this, but it was meant slightly tongue-in-cheek. But yeah, I mean, for people that don't know, Gary Neville played Stoke City in 2010-11 and was booked for a challenge on Matthew Etherington and then should have been sent off for another challenge on Etherington and was subbed at half-time and kind of fairly memorably said afterwards, I knew that's when my career was over, when you're getting done by average wingers, it's time to stop. Um, He did carry on for another couple of months, but yeah, he said his head had gone at that point. Not so average for Milner though. (laughs) No, and to be fair, yeah, Foden is a far better player than Matthew Etherington and James Milner is a, a stand-in right back, albeit he's played fullback quite a lot over the last few years. Um, mm. So yes, uh, it wasn't meant to be as damning as it might have sounded. Neville himself referenced it in commentary as well. I mean, I, I and I had the same thought earlier in the game. Yeah, I did think it had that uh, that stoked 2010 game about it. But yeah, you know, he he stuck at it and was involved in that last goal. Mm. 19 games unbeaten now for Jurgen Klopp's Liverpool, which is the un- longest unbeaten run in the country. As I mentioned before, um, they have various players heading off to red-list countries, although I think there's some likelihood that the regulations on that are going to change anyway this week, and, and certainly there's been alliances made uh, for kind of footballing cases in the past, but as it stands, Fabinho, Alisson and Mane uh, might face quarantine on the way back. Unlikely. As for City, though, two points off the top which is not a bad place to be after the run of fixtures they've had, you know, notably this Chelsea PSG in the Champions League and and, an Anfield sequence. How how do you think Pep will feel about how it's gone for them? I think pretty good. I mean, if we we consider as well where they were uh, this time last season when they started really slowly and, you know... They were, they were around mid-table in November. I know the season started a bit later, but yeah, I think he, in the way that Sir Alex Ferguson used to feel, I think with, with his United teams, they, as long as they're close enough by around Christmas time, I think you, because City is so, such a well-oiled machine, they're so well-drilled and they have so many options, I think they're they're right in it. I mean, I saw a lot of people saying that they thought, you know, the champions would cut, would be one of these two teams from yesterday's game. I mean, I still I still think Chelsea are, as serious a contender as these two, but I mean, City, as we've mentioned, you know, th- this this run of games, I, I just can't see anyone else navigating them so well. You know, having had Chelsea away uh, last weekend, how well they played. PSG, I know they didn't get the result, but they played well, and then here again. So, I, I think he will be extremely encouraged by by how well his team's played over the last week or so. There's also you, the just the squad depth 
you know, it, you looked forward to, to January, February when the AFCON may well happen and may well take away Mane and Salah for Liverpool. Mm. Uh, you look at the James Milner's struggle yesterday and you think, well, if, if City have a, a right-back injury, if Kyle Walker's not there, then Cancelo can play there. Um, there's just so much depth for each position that I just think when when we get into the grind of, of winter football and Champions League knockout stages, they've just got so many options. Hmm. Is there some doubt over the Afcon then? Well, it's it was delayed, obviously, and no one's really said. The last time I heard, it, 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 the statement kind of left it half open in terms of who would host it and where it would be, and therefore whether it would happen. But I've not heard anything since, which means I assume it's on. Is the Pushkas Arena not available? <laughs> That's a good shout. Maybe take it to uh, take it to Hungary or, or Porto and Lisbon. All right. Now, uh, mention Chelsea and Man United and that lot. And uh, let's get on to them next. So, Mr. Biasa, what's troubling you? Well, doctor, my translator is constantly undermining me. Last week, I told everyone to take five and get an ice cream. But he told them to run laps and practice their shooting. Sometimes it seems they don't know what they're doing. But with Paddy Power, you always know you're getting top draw rewards. If one leg of your bet builder on a football game lets you down, get your money back as a free bet. Paddy Power. Pretty much bet builder bets only. Max free bet £10 per day. Excludes enhanced match odds. Min four plus legs. Min odds one fifth per leg. Online exclusive. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. Become aware.org. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Two of that fabulously tight top six going head to head at Old Trafford Saturday lunchtime. Anthony Martial with the opener for Man United, Andros Townsend with the reply for Everton, and United drop points at home yet again. Let's salute those battling toffees. Eh? And particularly the mega money 1.7 million package of Townsend and Gray. That Gray on Fred moment. How special was that? Mm. Yeah, they are good. I, I thought the, the, the player to come out the most credit for Everton on, on Saturday was Abdoulaye Decore. I mm. thought he was fabulous. So he, he kind of goes under the radar, but he is one of those Premier League midfielders who delights in trying to cover every raid of grass and doing everything. And I think at times particularly last season, he was probably guilty of, of that, trying to do everything. But he said after the game, Benitez has been in my ear, he's been trying to refine me, he's been giving me little bits of advice about where to go when, and it's it's transformed my game, which, given there were only seven games into the season, is is pretty impressive. I, I, think, I thought that kind of made a slightly ironic comparison with Manchester United, where the demand is always, we need another high-class midfielder, we need another midfielder, whereas... Benitez has gone in and, and basically transformed Decore in the space of two months. So, yeah, I thought he was the man of the match. We are right to be heaping praise on Everton for this result and not focusing so much on the United side of things. This is also a team that were missing Richarlison, Dominic mm. Calvert-Lewin. They are still finding ways to score goals. And dare I say, you know, if Tom Davis had taken that shot on, they actually could have had even more from this match. So when you take all of that into consideration and and the way that Gray and Townsend have just slotted in, I think you can't do anything but think that Everton are on course for maybe a best finish in, in a long time. Well, only on one occasion in Premier League history have they had more points than this after seven games and that was when they finished fourth in 2004-05. As you say, this achieved playing without uh, their two best attackers. Gray and Townsend 
have either scored or assisted 70% of Everton's goals, of all of Everton's goals in all competitions. is remarkable. Remarkable. Yeah, I mean, I guess the, the cautionary note here would be, I think going into this game, uh, Everton had the same number of points from their first six games last season. Where you, you know, if we remember then, they started really well and there was a lot of excitement there and then it all... Um, not fell apart mm. straight away. It kind of gradually just eroded uh, with all those home defeats. So I guess that, that they're they're probably a little wary, uh, given that that happened. But you know, it doesn't look that way at the moment. They were really really impressive. They could easily have won this game. I thought they were much the better side. I, I really enjoyed the uh, Mina celebration as well. Um, that you know, you do a dance like that and. And also, I quite enjoyed the the United fans that just yeah. seemed to be patiently watching him as he did it. It wasn't even a huge amount of abuse. It was more just like, mm, can this end soon? Can he stop doing this stupid <laughs> dance? Uh, so, yeah, that was quite entertaining as well. But, uh, yeah, I mean, Davis should probably have just taken that on himself and, you know, take away the need to square it. But, uh, yeah, I mean, that would have been su- some result if they'd pulled off the win. Yeah. One one win in five for United. And, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention the, the selection. Strange time some would feel to rest Ronaldo and Pogba when you don't actually have a game coming up for a fortnight. Yeah, it's I mean it's all it's all muddled. You know, I know we're we're digging up old graves, but none of it seems to make sense. You know, I, I if United were really fun and attacking and scoring loads of goals but getting caught out on the break, then you'd think, well, he's got too many attackers and he'll sort this out. But they're not even that fun to watch. The only conclusion I can make after this weekend is that I think Newcastle will probably be the only set of supporters in the league who would swap their manager for for Manchester United, which is a remarkable situation for a club like United to be in. Um, As if they don't have enough problems. Um, (laughs) Fred and McTominay as well, uh, if they don't even offer you kind of proper defensive coverage, there's Fred getting done by uh, Gray on on, on the sidelines there. What's what's the point? Yeah, I do. I I mean... People who watch United more than I do may be able to explain this to me, but I do find the continuing omission of Donny van der Beek uh, very puzzling because he seems to me like such an exciting player and someone who would um, you know, give them a bit more creativity in the middle. And as you say, James, if, if Fred and McTominay aren't really offering that defensive shield, it does seem a bit odd. I mean, I would say as well, as someone who... Um, like many probably enjoys United not doing well and their misfortune. This gift that we've been given of a manager who doesn't do well enough for them to really do that well and give the fans, the United fans that much pleasure, but doesn't quite do badly enough to lose his job is just an ongoing joy, I have to say. And I don't <laughs> really know. Sweet spot. Yeah, it is. It's like, I don't know. It's like the, the Charlie, you've speed. just kind of confirmed the suspicions of every United supporter about the media and <laughs> you know, kind of car-carrying United bias. So that's your, very much your personal opinion. That's very much a personal there. view. I'm there right. speaking as a fat, as a non-United fan. Right. right. Um, that I think, you know, most fans delight in other teams' misfortune. And mm. it's not like they're doing, they've not done terribly. You know, they finished second last season. They've reached, they reached the Europa League final. And so you can see why he kept his job. But, but I don't crucially think... crucially lost it. Crucially lost it. I don't think mm. anyone, any fans of other clubs, as Daniel says, with the no one wanting to switch him, I don't think anyone is thinking, oh, aren't they lucky to have Solskjaer and aren't we kind of scared of what they're going to do? I think people are happy for him to stay on forever. There is, there is a bit of, I think finally in the last week or so, there is a bit of 
David Moyes at Manchester United to Solskjaer's heir as well. There's that, you know, that famous Moyes quote about Manchester United must improve in a number of areas, including passing, creating chances and defending. <laughs> and he, he, he has slightly switched that mode of, you know, we've got loads to work on. Um, everything needs to improve, not just one thing. And you sort of think, yeah, that, that that's kind of your job. And it, you know, you are in December, you will click into three years as Manchester United manager, which is um, quite a long time. I think there's only three other managers who have been constantly in the Premier League and kept their jobs for longer than him, which is Klopp, Guardiola and Sean Dyche. So, right. you know, he's had quite a while now. And, mm. you know, Moyes was saying those things in the December, having been appointed in the, the May or June. And yeah, Solskjaer was appointed in December 2018. Well, a tough run of games coming up between him and getting to December. You've got Leicester away, Liverpool at home, Spurs away, Man City at home with a couple of matches with Atlanta thrown into that mix. Chelsea not long after. The other thing as well that felt a little bit um, like when a manager feels they're under pressure is he he did have a dig against the you know so-called experts Ooh, media. and media yeah. and all of that sort of thing. Which... That stung, didn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as a non-expert, I wasn't bothered yeah. at all. So. Yeah, exactly. I... <laughs> Um, yeah. yeah, so that felt a little bit pointed and like Ooh. that was getting to him. And I did, I said that when they signed Cristiano Ronaldo, this was always going to be a thing that when you sign a player like that at that age, it's always going to be a story when he doesn't play. And mm. it's tedious, but it just is. And that's what that's why these sort of signings do come with risk. Is it also a story when he when he walks off like that at the end of the at the end of the match? I, I think that's one of those things that is very easy for a manager to say. That's the mentality that kind of player has. We want players to be annoyed. You'd be but disappointed if he wasn't annoyed after exactly. that. Exactly. Sort of and and to be fair, if there's any player who has set a precedent for that over the last 15 years, is Cristiano Ronaldo. So that that kind of action is not something new from him. All right, Lindsay. Age might be an excuse for Ronaldo, and I, and I think it's a tedious one because we know what sort of shape he's in, and to say this early on that you know he needs managing with his time. But how about Pogba? You know the main creative outlet being on the bench as well. There isn't the age excuse there, is there? No, he he basically. I mean, Manchester United basically have five creators in Van der Beek, Pogba, Bruno Fernandes, Jadon Sancho, and whoever plays else up front, Mason Greenwood or or Martial. And yeah, they, they didn't pick Pogba, they didn't pick Sancho, they didn't pick Van der Beek, which yeah, unsurprisingly left a bit of a gap in midfield creativity when Bruno Fernandes has to do absolutely everything. Mm-hmm. Still, credit to Everton. And we yes. move on for a quick shout for top of the table, Chelsea, who had late goals from Timo Werner. And Ben Chilwell to secure a victory over battling Saints. Uh, I say battling Saints, but battling Alex McCarthy. Some spectacular saves to keep Southampton in this game. Uh, James Ward-Prowse picking up a red card, which means his run of 102 consecutive Premier League appearances will now be coming to an end. Any other conclusions from this before we take a break and get on to Watford? I think it's three games in a row now that we've witnessed Lukaku change his whole persona. He went from entering the Premier League as a ruthless, selfish striker that I think they needed to suddenly becoming <laughs> more, more giving to his to his fellow attackers to his detriment. And I, I just wonder what's happened there, whether there has been a conversation behind the scenes of get your head up, please try and look out for where Timo is or or whoever it is on that day. And... 
I honestly don't think that it's the way he should be playing. Um, and although you've got a 3-1 victory here for Lukaku, I, I think it wasn't a great it wasn't a great day at all. I mean, he did play a, a lot that way. At least he was extremely generous last season at, at, at Inter. I think, uh, uh, his kind of relationship with Lautaro Martinez was, was extraordinary. Danny, you also picking up on a change in, in um, Lukaku, but putting it down to a positioning, that kind well, of tactical approach. When Tuchel signed him, he said, he, he gave some interview quotes in which he said, he talked about Lukaku as a kind of back-to-goal striker, which set off those... Manchester United alarm bells because that's effectively what broke him in in English football and required this rejuvenation at Inter and Antonio Conte was not shy last week in saying you know don't break him basically um and yeah this is the same he he only had 24 touches of the ball against Southampton which is is not enough because and the reason it makes a difference for Lukaku is it's not just that you lack you know, you lack his skills if you don't service him, but also he gets down on himself. So then when he does get one or two chances a game rather than five or six, he snatches at those chances because he's not been involved in the game. The big thing at Inter was that he was finishing his chances because he was also involved in so much of their other play in terms of driving forward from out wide and, and, and setting up Lataro Martinez. So yeah, that that does worry me a little bit. I hope that, I hope they go back to using him because it, no, that early season, as Lindsay said, he was he was phenomenal. So he, he has it there. We know he has it there. And what is the other thing that's more than a coincidence in this? I think it's Mason Mount being missing because mm. another thing that I think has happened to him is a lot of his space has been taken up. Um, I thought that happened on a few occasions with Werner and with Hudson-Odoi against Southampton, whereas Mason Mount can drop back deeper. And so in the game against Villa, for instance, I thought Lukaku had so much more space and talking about back to goal, that's where he got his joy. I mean, he even scored a goal from, from that mm. position and he wasn't getting that. Um, or anywhere near that sort of space again in this game. Was was Mount not playing in this, or did he come on? He came on. He came All on, right. but he didn't start. Right. But he, I mean, Mount is one of those players, isn't he? Often who that cliche his best games are when he's not playing because I think he is someone who a lot of you know we saw this with England at the Euros I think a lot of fans thought you know, what is it exactly that he does? But you do you you often do see that with him when he hasn't been playing, and Chelsea have looked. Uh, a lot, a lot worse. I would say as well, like just we were talking before about squad depth. I mean, Chelsea, the players they didn't bring on on the weekend off their bench were Havertz, Ziyech, Sal Niguez, Christensen, Alonso. I mean, they they also have, I think, arguably the best depth of any team in the Premier League. And and it does mean when you can bring on players, and they and they've still got you know Ross Barkley and Loftus Cheek who who both played really well. Barkley involved with an amazing pass uh, for the crucial second goal. So. You know, you do, even if players do have dips, they have lots of others who they can bring in uh, to try and ease them through those tough periods. But there is no Giroud anymore. There's clearly no Tammy Abraham anymore. But, but they're top of the table, Lindsay. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying that right. when you say depth, I guess the striker position is the one area where they don't have depth. All right. Well, even without their striker firing, they are. Eight point clear of Liverpool and two of the rest of those other teams a better position than Watford are in, as we'll be discussing next. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
you can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. And with Paddy Power, if something doesn't go quite according to plan, you can get your money back as a free bet if one leg of your bet builder lets you down. Which might just come in handy when Brighton start being Brighton again and go back to outperforming their XG and not winning. Free match bet builders only. Get your stake back as a free bet. Minimum four plus legs. Max free bet £10. Excludes enhanced matchups. Season C supply. It's over 18s only. And please gamble responsibly. Results were scandalous. CF another manager can handle us. Cisco is gone, 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 gone. gone. Um, yes, Watford dispensing with the services of Cisco Munoz Sunday morning after 10 months in charge. They've had 17 managers in 10 years, eight people in charge in the last five years. 60 seconds. Can you name those eight? Oh, Slavisa Jakanovic, yes. Walter Mazzari, Kiko yes. Sanchez. Times yeah. two, if we're allowed that. <laughs> Nigel uh, Pearson. Nigel Pearson. Javi Gracia. Yes. Uh, does Hayden Mullins count? Yeah, yes, Mullins. Yes. Um, Up to six. Got two more to find. Two more. Oh, oh goodness. Does Claudio Ranieri count? No. Have we said no. Cisco? Yes, we've... Oh, uh, no, he's one of the eight. Yeah, that's true. Cisco, so just one more to find now. That would have been annoying if that was all me. Yeah. <laughs> we had uh, Marco Silva. Ah, yes. Uh, no, hang on. Cool. Producer Chad just uh, mentioning we have, pointing out we haven't mentioned Vladimir Ivich. So, not sure yeah. how we got to nine out of that. Maybe it's more than we even thought. That's anyway, what for get us, bonus points. Yeah. Going up all the time. Only one of their last 12 managers at Watford have remained in their job for more than 40 matches. That's quite a thought. Mm. They've mm. got seven points from seven games. They are 14th. Uh, in the table, yeah. but it does look a little bit like their season peaked about 45 minutes in when they were 3-0 up against Villa. <laughs> yeah, and they they, are, they haven't been very organised. They were awful against Newcastle. They were awful against Leeds. I mean, by the standards of any other club, this would be an incredibly harsh sacking. But then, you know, if you're surprised by Watford doing this, you haven't been paying enough attention because, as we're saying, this is what they do. And crucially, they do it successfully. You know, they sacked manager after manager in in the Premier League and stayed up for, for three or four seasons. So, yeah, I don't, I'm don't. i not convinced that Claudio Ranieri is the answer, having w- watched what? his Fulham side on occasion. What? But, sorry. Okay, so, no, I mean, but Claudio Ranieri, I mean, is that, that's not yet confirmed, I don't think. Certainly Sky Sports Italia were, were okay. running it as official, I mean, or, or, or a done deal at least on, on Sunday night. Ranieri did it going back to the kind of, Late noughties did a brilliant job at Palmer, who were absolutely buried, and and he managed to keep them up. He did more recently. His most recent uh, job was at Sampdoria, which he took over when they were last, got them up to fifteenth, and then ninth the following season. In this country, I can't recall offhand how his record is with sides that have been struggling at the bottom, apart from Fulham. But <laughs> um, but anyway, hmm. Lindsay, what, what do you think? Are you similarly down on on uh... Don Claudio's chances? Oh, I don't really know. I think the jury's out about him, to be honest. I, I wasn't, like Daniel, I wasn't as impressed with, with the Fulham reign. Um, sure. And, and I do think that there's that 
that fairy dust appointment to it where everyone thinks it might just be us next that he manages <laughs> to get to win the Premier League. That is not going to happen. Um, however, I do think, it, without being too critical of Watford, if you if you take away the sacking element, what a time to do it. It's an international break. It's probably a good opportunity to bed in a new manager. Um, so you can't, you can't actually um, aim anything at them apart from having a ruthless streak, but they have better timing than other clubs. Mm. Charlie, are you excited? I mean, <laughs> whoever comes in, who knows if they'll last the season. I mean, it's not been beyond Watford to have three managers in the season. But as Daniel says, I mean, and I think Chelsea have shown this as well, we do, we can fall into a trap of thinking that, you know, stability in and of itself is a good thing. But Watford and Chelsea, obviously operating at different levels, but they have made this work. And, you know, as kind of harsh as it can seem, you know, they have often got these right. And and, and the key thing is, whether whatever you think about Cisco, it, it's about getting the right man in. Ranieri, I don't know, it feels a little bit of an unimaginative appointment, but, you know, may, maybe he'll be the safe pair of hands that they need. The one consistent factor that they have had previously is Troy Deeney. You know, he has been that glue that mm. every time managers have gone out the door, he's in the dressing room managing to rally everyone and he's no longer there. Um, and I do wonder with the with the senior members of the squad whether they will cope as well as they have in other years gone by because, like you say, there is a huge gulf between what Chelsea have done and what Watford have done, even though they, they tend to have the same attitude towards managers. I did... Um... I did like Cisco Munoz's leaving statement in which he declared his shock that he'd been sacked after 10 months as if kind of, just, just have a word with the six... The long haul. Yeah, have a word with any of the six guys that came before you, mate. They'd have, they'd have told you. If um, whoever is coming in, uh, their first fixture in charge will be Liverpool. So, yeah, that'll be interesting. Leeds, meanwhile, getting their first Premier League win of the season at the seventh attempt. Defender Diego Lorente scoring on his return from injury. Just the one nil, uh, just one nil the scoreline. But the dominant from Leeds stats wise, and uh, a big weight off their shoulders. No, yeah, and and again without a number of players, without Patrick Bamford, uh, Daniel James, I thought looked really good. He sort of that direct running, and Rafinha is remains one of the most joyous players to watch in the Premier League. If incredibly frustrating, in that he tends to believe he's more likely to score from thirty yards than five. Um, but yeah, they're a good. I mean, we know they're a good team to watch. But this was kind of classic Leeds in that they 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 battered Watford first half and then were probably lucky to avoid conceding when Melier dropped the ball and you know got called for a foul and and the goal was disallowed. So yeah, they're not quite there yet, but they are missing a few players. Mm, their victory leaves four sides still looking for their first win. That's Saints, Burnley. Newcastle and Norwich. Norwich, though, having uh, finally got their first point in an ill-nil draw at Burnley. Adam Hurry, a football cliche, saying, can the human mind conceive of anything more last-on match of the day than Burnley nil, Norwich nil? I didn't even bother watching this one. Is it? <laughs> right, what did Lindsay miss? The highlights were actually really long. It's Because it was like the last game, I was like, OK, well, I'll mm. watch it. But... It just seemed to keep going. Like it was the last game, but it felt like, and, and maybe it was just because it was really dull. But it felt like the longest highlights. Um, and that, yeah, that said, I can't really tell you um, well, what you missed. I mean, numbers-wise, that's Norwich ending their top-flight losing streak at sixteen matches. So there's that. But from Burnley's point of view, their run of not winning any home mm. league games since January the twenty-seventh 
continues and when you don't even beat Norwich. Alarm bells. Mm. Mm. I, I, I'm very reticent to say Burnley are going down because every time I've done it, they haven't. Well, no. So I, I've, um, I've, I've refrained. But this is a season where surely if you're, if you're a fan, you are worried. Yeah, it's right. bad timing because Sean Dyche obviously signed a contract in midweek, which That'll has kind of sold fine. us this. You know, right. he's carrying on his business. He's taking us forward. And yeah, if you then don't beat Norwich at home in your next game, it all all feels a little bit like the, the, the goodwill has evaporated. Well, there's a lot going on behind the scenes as well. Yeah. You know, there's, there's members there? of staff. That well, there's everything left, and nothing. Yeah. yeah. That have there's, gone, that have been yeah. there for years and years. Some, mm. Mm, yeah, the, I mean, very briefly, the, the owner or the owners bought the club and kind of leveraged some of the debt onto Burnley in a kind of mini Man United scenario. And yeah, I think some supporters are worried that, yes, they, they bought Maxwell Corne, but other than that, they didn't, haven't spent an awful lot of money and it, they are kind of just asking Dyche to do exactly the same thing season after season with not, not with fewer resources, but against teams that have, have invested more. Well, well, that's the thing. And Daniel, we've spoken about it before. Um, you know, that I think you use the phrase witchcraft, which is true for, for what Sean Dyche has done. I mean, his lack, the lack of spending year in, year out is, is quite incredible that they do that. But the league feels so strong this year that really, you know, I would say Norwich, Newcastle, Burnley, I think Southampton are better than that. And then Watford, I don't think there are that many teams... That, that you'd worry for that much and but but Burnley I would definitely put in that category because right. and Wolves too I'm worried for Wolves Lindsay how about you <laughs> I'm, I'm not actually no I'm not I'm not worried for Wolves I think there are easily three teams that are worse than Wolves and uh, that's I think, the dream isn't it yeah that's what you've got to weigh up isn't it you've got to weigh that up um I, I think as well with the way that Bruno Large is wanting to play very attacking, I can see Wolves second half of the season and it and it could go against us. But I, I honestly think it could go the other way where we start scoring a lot of goals. Because when you think that Pedro Neto is yet to come back into the team, let's face it, Traore, he will on occasion have that end product. Um I honestly think with with Huang and Jimenez looking like they're linking up really well, that's only going to improve as the season goes on because they're they're a new combination. Um, Jimenez gave signs in this game against Newcastle, I thought, um, and off the back of the goal that he scored last week, uh, of being back to where he was. And if you've got that as a Wolves fan, you've got to start rubbing your hands together and thinking, yeah, it's not going to be as bad as, as a relegation battle, which a few weeks ago I did think could happen. Right. Tell, tell us more about Hwangi Chan. I, I think he's proven that, you know, just from his introduction in the Premier League already, that he's equipped to deal with it. He's equipped to deal with the pace. I think we have that question mark over players that are brought in sometimes. But um, what I, I, I like his strength. I like the, the vision that he has. Um, he is always looking for that killer pass. Um, I think he might be someone, we've got a couple of goals here, but I think he, it might reverse. I think he might end up feeding Jimenez uh, and ending up with more assists. But he deserves to start. You know, Trincao um, could have actually buried this game. Mm. Um, <laughs> and he's someone that that's great, but could end up either making way when you see the likes of Neto coming back in or Traore trying to fit into the team again. Um or you go all out. And that's what I think Large will do. I think he'll keep him in and I think he'll bring more attackers in and that that could that could go one way or the other, couldn't it, with a, with a back three. 
Yeah, I'm, uh, as much as it pains me to say, it, I, I completely agree with Lindsay. I think they will they will improve and improve. Um, why, why are you so down on agreeing with Lindsay? <laughs> no, just <laughs> didn't want to kill her wolves buzz. But um, all right, I mean, yeah, I, I, just hearing Connor Cody after the game uh, on Saturday talking about. Huang and Jimenez and kind of describing them as beautiful people and how they work together in training every day and it's clear that Large sees that as the key to success I mean Huang's playing was playing kind of wide left in a in the 3-4-3 but constantly looking to get into the middle and then on that right you've got either Chinkao or, or Traore kind of overlapping and and hopefully providing decent crosses it, it looks good I mean there is a there is a slight issue with depth I think until ne- before Neto comes back but um, that Huang signing looks to have been an absolute masterstroke so far. Mm. Spare a thought for Fabio Silva, who thought that his Premier League days had begun, um, but have quickly been halted. I don't think he's going to get much time now. All right. Well, Lindsay, you got a head off at this point, but thank you so much for being with us and look forward to hearing more from you and the resurgent Wolves uh, soon. As for Newcastle beaten in this game... They slip into the bottom three. They'll be hoping that Callum Wilson will be back available for their next match after the international break, which is against Spurs at St. James's Park. We'll be talking about Spurs and some surprise results in the capital next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We're all driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to The Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash totally. That's I-N-D-E-E-D.com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at Indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sunday in the capital saw some interesting results. Palace going 2-0 down at home to Leicester, but roaring back to earn a point. Brentford beating West Ham at West Ham. And Spurs winning against Aston Villa. Uh, Oh, let's start with Brentford, eh? Yeah, I mean, they've... Joan Bisa must, as I wrote in the score, must must wonder what the fuss is all about with the Premier League. He comes on and against Liverpool and scores within four minutes. Comes on against West Ham, scores the winner. But I think it was it's proved more than anything that Brentford are a different type of promoted team in that they their recruitment means they've got such a variety of options on the bench that can come on and change games. That um, yeah they they. They already look seven games into the season like an established Premier League team to me. 
You know, they, right. they've got the smarts, as people say. They've got bags of skill. They've got even Tony to lead the line. They've got a really solid defence. And yeah, I, I, I know promoted teams quite often start well and then and fade away, but maybe it'll come back to haunt me. But I just can't see it with Brentford. They just look mm. like a, they, you know, they look like a, a Wolves or a, a West Ham. They, they look an established Premier League team. They remind me of a promoted side from Yorkshire. I'm talking about Hull City, of course. They were the last newly promoted team to be unbeaten in their first four Premier League away games. That was back in 2008. Of course, some people will mention Leeds. Well, um, and also, but that's mm. an example probably of what Daniel's saying of a team who did uh, fade away, given that they then clung on, didn't they, to their Premier League status after a pretty awful second half of the season. And maybe Thomas Frank will be giving a half-time team talk uh, on the pitch around <laughs> around Christmas time but it doesn't look that way um, instinctively no they do they, they, they do look uh, so so good I mean I put them the league's so weird this year because you've got the top four who obviously the, the inverted commas big four now who, who do look a bit of a cut above you know Everton notwithstanding but I don't think they'll last that pace but then I'd put Brentford in the bracket of pretty much everyone else down until the teams we mentioned that we thought would be in the relegation battle. I mean, they look they look like they can mix it with all of those teams and they've done so, so far in their games. You know, this is another great result. Draw with Liverpool, beaten Arsenal and just looked completely at home straight away and playing in a really exciting way as well. Squad-wise, how, how, how much depth have they got? The only thing that they lack is is an obvious replacement for for even Tony, which is is no surprise because what he does is is unique. And you know, two weeks ago, Brentford's players were telling the media that they they think he plays like Didier Drogba and they think he's got the potential to be as good as Didier Drogba. So that's the kind of you know that's the kind of player you're having to replace there, and they can't do that. But in pretty much every other position, they've got they've got options. Um, the 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 two most important players to my mind are to, at both ends of the pitch are Tony and David Raya, who has mm. probably been the V goalkeeper of the season so far. Not just in terms of his 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 shot stopping and, and kind of command of the area, but his distribution is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I know Aaron Ramsdale started well at, at, at Arsenal, and therefore I don't want to criticise him, but you kind of wonder how big clubs in inverted commas haven't been looking at Raya because he's been, he did this all last season and he's such a good goalkeeper. Well, I think they were. And then didn't he signed a new contract that if that meant if Brentford hadn't got promoted, there was a release clause. Right. Um, and so I think a lot of clubs were really, really hoping Brentford wouldn't get promoted, Arsenal among them, because they were in for him the previous summer, the summer when they sold Emmy Martinez. But um, obviously Brentford have gone up and yeah, his distribution is... You know, I don't want to say it's up there with Edison because you know, that's maybe you know putting too much pressure on him. But it is um, the variety of it is is incredible. I wanted to say as well on that uh, Edison moment as well that slightly went and I didn't think got the credit it deserved maybe as well was how well Allison then comes out to make that slide tackle, which again is a, a very modern piece of goalkeeping. And you did just think, God, if goalkeepers twenty years ago or whatever, even ten years ago, had seen that interaction between those two goalkeepers just how much uh, the game has changed and how important and how different their role has become truly has uh, Brentford for now are seventh in the table only two points behind that throng of teams with Man United Man City etc uh, now elsewhere Crystal Palace down in 14th but earning a big point from a battling comeback against Leicester feels like this 
Leicester taking two-goal lead, Palace then coming back, said plenty about both sides, although what exactly? I think Palace, I've been praising quite a lot this season for a team that have got seven points from seven games, but with Vieira trying to kind of overhaul everything, I think that's probably warranted. And uh, I think this is the first time in a couple of years that they've come from 2-0 down in a game or two goals down in a game to take something. And I just feel like the last season under Roy Hodgson, if they'd have gone 2-0 down to Leicester, they'd have probably just sort of played out the rest of the game. But they stuck to what they're doing and... Conor Gallagher looks brilliant. Michael Elise came on and, and scored and I hope we'll start starting games now. I know he's been injured, so Vieira's been kind of careful with him. Um, and yeah, they, they they look a really good side to watch, which is is not what you would say about Palace last season. Mm, two goals from subs here. In fact, they've had four of their goals this season from players coming off the bench, which is good work from Patrick Vieira. As for Leicester, the good news there is that they're unlikely to blow a top-four spot on the final day this time around, would you say, Charlie? <laughs> yeah, it's, they, they've, they've looked um, really not very good. I mean, uh, you want to say they've been found out, but it does feel a little bit like that. And actually, this was a weird game because they went 2-0 up, but Palace had had the better of the game up until that point. Leicester sucker-punched them. So it was impressive that Palace didn't let their heads drop too much and think, oh, this is, you know, how has this happened to us? You know, how are we 2-0 down and came back? And Palace have got Eze um, to return as well. And he's he's such an important player for them. But yeah, Leicester, I mean, I don't know. They they It just looks like something's missing there. Um, I don't know if it's gone slightly stale. As, as well, we should say they have had, they've had some really unfortunate injuries that have probably knocked them a little bit as well. But um, it's just not clicking at the moment. And, and actually... From when it went to 2-2, you thought if anyone was going to go and win it, it was Palace, not them. Mm. That centre-back pairing of, of Kaglar Shunchu and mm. Yannick Vestergaard, it doesn't scream mobility. And yeah, I mean, Palace danced around them basically for most of Sunday afternoon. I think that same pairing conceded twice against Burnley and twice against Brighton. And yeah, you know, they aren't, they aren't the best attacks in the league. So I think they need Johnny Evans back and I think they're badly going to miss Wesley Fofana this season. Mm. One win in seven now for Leicester in all competitions. Lying down in 13th, just ahead of Palace. Charlie, the Spurs win. First of all, don't want to be dramatic, but what do you think would have happened over the international break if they'd lost this game against Villa? Uh, yeah, I mean, I was definitely preparing to be on is Nuno getting sacked watch uh, if if they had lost. And I, I don't think that would have been ridiculous. I mean, yeah, they, they didn't. So it's... I guess hypothetical, but you know there was a lot of um, frustration and anger after the North London derby. You know the three straight defeats and conceding three goals in all of those games. The fact that they were all London derbies, um, Palace and Chelsea in there as well. So yeah, I think you would have been. I think you would have been right up against it, and that's been the theme. You know, going into this game was that the pressure uh, was right on him, and and we should say as well that. It, it wasn't just about the results because, as Daniel says, Patrick Vieira, Palace have only got seven points from seven games and, and that's not exceptional results. But there's a feeling that, OK, well, he's trying to do something here. Um, you know, he's trying to instill a style of play. Comparisons have been made between Nuno and Pochettino. Pochettino Spurs didn't start brilliantly. But again, there was a sense that he was trying to introduce something. He had this clear uh, philosophy and methodology Whereas I think a lot of supporters feel that they're not really getting that from Nuno or haven't really had that um, so far. So there was this slight 
you know, what, what what's the point? What's going on here? And the fact that he's on a two-year deal as well doesn't scream uh, that the club think he's a long-term solution. But they did win the game. And so you would think that for now, at least, um, the pressure eases off him a bit. And maybe there is a bit more understanding that, you know, Spurs is a, it's a strange squad. There's, there are quite a lot of imbalances there. Uh, and maybe, you know, this is going to take time and more time perhaps than people uh, than people thought. But it also the game also showed when you have guys like Kane and Son, I mean, Son was just absolutely unplayable really on the day that you, um, you know, they, they should still pick up quite a lot of wins this season with those two playing. All right. Son saying afterwards, the way we played today was different. We tried to play more, which, I mean, sounds like a positive change. <laughs> more specifically, what, what, what would that entail? Did you see a difference in their approach? Yeah, that's maybe a bit damning on what's gone before, but they they there was a bit more balance in the midfield. So they've that's that's been the the area where they've really struggled with this season because you've it's either felt way too stodgy and there was against Palace they played with three defensive midfielders and you know that felt really like overkill. Then against Arsenal they went to the other extreme a little bit and played uh, Hoybier and Dombele and Delhi. And that was an absolute disaster because you had Hoybier isolated in the midfield, this absolute chasm between defence and attack. And actually, um, you know, Hoybier was pushing forward as well, so they could just be picked off. Yesterday, Skip came back into the team uh, as a sort of double pivot with Hoybier, which allowed Ndombele to get forward more, um, a bit more protection for the defence and a bit less of a gap. So that felt like a step forward. Um, Kane was more involved. You know, that's been a big issue that he played out on the left against Chelsea. And there was much said and written about the fact that he wasn't really getting in the box as much. Yesterday, he didn't score, but he, he looked a lot more dangerous. Um, nearly scored at the end. Had one as well that just went um, past Martinez's near post. So it was just a bit more front-footed. And obviously, they were getting Son into dangerous areas. And when you do that, he's going to scare every defence in the league. Well, with Spurs making moves in the right direction, let's move on uh, to the final game and occupying the dreaded last on totally slot. It is Brian Arsenal, possibly unfairly, among the delights of this. Oh, you had Arsenal defender Gabriel searching for a missing tooth at the Amex after the game. Not sure why. Why would he, unless, I mean, I don't suppose he's putting it under his pillow. Also curious about this is he was looking for teeth the last time yeah. Arsenal faced Brighton uh, at the Emirates. That was back in May. Maybe he's like a squirrel. Maybe he buried a couple last time. Possibly so. But, you know, unfortunately for him, do, do, uh, he got basically clattered both times, did he? Well, the other one actually happened in the uh, post-match celebration mm. send-off for David Louise. That was when he lost the tooth at the Emirates. So I don't think he could have... You know, feel too sorry for himself on that occasion. But yeah, on this one, I think it was more symptomatic of the fact that he was getting buffeted uh, around a game. And and he played very well, actually, and I think was was a big reason for why Arsenal were able to essentially cling on for a clean sheet against the Brighton team who who had much the better of the game. Speaking of toothless, though, uh, Charlie, uh, any Arsenal fans looking for evidence that that derby win over Spurs wasn't just, you know, Spurs, how heartened would they be by this performance? <laughs> Yeah, it was a big regression. And yeah, I think some fans felt a little bit like that. Not that they'd been conned as such, but that they'd allowed themselves with the uh, emotion of that, of the North London derby, to think that they'd maybe turned more of a corner than they had. Um, this was more typical Arteta ball that we've seen for a lot of his tenure, where Arsenal just look short of ideas going forward. I mean, they've, they've often actually been 
you know, we think of Arsenal as being this, the stereotypes that they go going forward bad defensively, but actually under Arteta, it's often been the other way around. That, and even, and even last season, they statistically they were one of the stronger defenses, but they just really struggle to break teams down. Um, you know, you, if you were being generous, you'd say a point away at Brighton is not a terrible result. I imagine you know lots of other teams will. Uh, draw or get beaten by Brighton, who are excellent under Graham Potter. But it was—it's as you say—it's the fact that they never even really looked like scoring or creating much that was that was disheartening. Mm. Brighton, meanwhile, with some classic seagulls, uh, twenty-one shots, just the two on target. All right. Well, they'll have the international break to hone uh, those finishing skills. Very shortly, we'll get some hot takes on the England squad, some furious plugging from Daniel, and more. In the last bit of this, totally. But before that, some odds from Paddy Power with producer Charlie. Thank you, James. We're going to look ahead to this international break. By we, I mean myself and Carl Monaghan from Paddy Power. The first silverware of the men's season will be dished out this week, or the last silverware of last season, the Nations League. First up, it's Italy v Spain on Wednesday night in Milan. Mancini's men have gone 37 games without defeat. Does that run end here? Listen, Charlie, it's a magnificent record. 37 games unbeaten. Wow. Respect. They really are a tough tough to crack at the best of times, Mancini's Italy, aren't they? And even more so on home soil. This, of course, is very much so reflected in the prices by the traders. We make Italy the favourites listeners at 13 to 10 to win it. The draw is 21 to 10, whilst the Spanish are 2 to 1. Now, the sides last met recently back in July at Wembley, and it was Italy who were victorious, winning 4 2 on pens. But that was a close one for the Azuri, as the Spanish dominated the midfield that night, had the lion's share of possession, created more chances and had more shots on target. But just like Arsene Wenger's, or indeed Fabio Capella's Invincibles, Charlie, all good things do eventually come to an end in football. So are the Spanish a bit of value for a revenge mission at the San Siro this Wednesday? They may well be. Then on Thursday, over in Turin, Belgium take on France, the golden generation and the world champions. Few big names in the first goalscorer market, Carl. Yeah, the world number ones rock into town Belgium and they lock anchors with Le Bleu in what has all the potential to be a pulsating encounter between two sides that will still feel a bit aggrieved at the way they were outplayed at the Euros in the summer in the knockout stages. Like you point out, Charlie, it's a real star-studded list, the first goalscorer market, and it's the usual suspects who will be at the top of that market, with Romelu Lukaku, Kylian Mbappe and Karim Benzema all set to be the most popular bets. There may well be value, though, in this market by going further down that list, Charlie. Have a look at the likes of Kevin De Bruyne, or a Paul Pogba, or even a Yuri Tillmans who likes a pop from outside the box. This may be the way to get some more meat on your bone, price-wise. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Totally Football League show is out today with Matt Davis-Adams at the wheel. The team with the best home record in English football right now is, Charlie? Bournemouth? No, but that's a good shout. It's Coventry City, actually. Six wins out of six. Mm. And you'll know things like that and other exciting factoids about the Football League if you listen to the Totally Football League show with Matt Davis-Adams. What will they be saying about Nottingham Forest this weekend? They'll be saying that Nottingham Forest have taken uh, nine points from the last... Sorry, ten points from the last 12 available and won 3-0 at Birmingham City. Brilliant. Um, Yes, Steve Cooper is magic. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Uh, offside rule is out on Tuesday. Looking ahead to the aforementioned Women's Super League Super Sunday, 
Uh, what does that entail? Oh, look out. Here comes Lindsay Hooper again. Yeah, with the international break, it's a great opportunity for everyone to sample what's on offer on Sky Sports with WSL this season. So there are going to be a couple of games back to back. So there's going to be Chelsea against Leicester City. Um, that's going to be the early kickoff. And I will be at Arsenal against Everton. Um, it looks already like the title race is going to be between Chelsea and Arsenal, both of them scoring for fun. It's even been mentioned this early on by the manager Jonas Eidevel at, uh, at Arsenal that he's lost a title once before in Sweden on goal difference so he will not let up it's bad news for everyone else because with the the firepower that Chelsea and Arsenal have they have been scoring a lot of goals and it it could be another one this weekend so I encourage everyone uh, to tune in on Sunday Excellent stuff thank you Lindsay Uh, also out on Tuesday is the Totally Football Show European edition that'll be with you first thing Tuesday discussing such hot topics as Paris Saint-Germain losing against Rennes and other things. But, uh, not least, everything you need to know, Daniel, about the Nations League finals. Thank which, you. Uh, happening Listen. this weekend, yeah, and this week. Not a drill. It's on. <laughs> Excellent. England, not involved in that, of course, this time. They have got plain old World Cup qualifiers against Andorra and Hungary. And on the subject of England, Daniel... Yes, sorry for the shameless plug, but um, as it's international break, I thought I should mention that I've got a, a book on England coming out later this month. It's in conjunction with the FA. It's the England's official history, um, which is a very grand title. Uh, but it's, it's basically a really nice coffee table book with some uh, amazing images and um, tens of thousands of my words around them. But yeah, the images in them are are, are superb. It's telling the story both of the men's senior team for their 150th anniversary, but also we wanted to kind of interlace that with the history of the the women's senior team, given that they were banned from playing for 50 years. It seems probably goes only a a very slight way (laughs) to uh, repair that damage. But yes, um, it's out on October the 21st, I think. What was your favourite part of writing it, Daniel? Um... I mean, genuinely in being able to kind of immerse myself in, in 1966 because I'd watched the final before, obviously, and I knew the story of it, obviously. But um, to be able to really dive into the, AF- the FA's archive of stuff is pretty joyous experience. What, what did you uncover there? Just the, the, the best bits are the, the, the images of, and there were hundreds of them I scrolled through and only chose a few, but just of the pictures of people... Like now, when England win a tournament game, there's obviously it's like the box park and that sort of thing. Then it was just, I mean, it was so, I mean, incredibly anachronistic just seeing people with like the top, you know, the the England top hats and flags and, you know, bunting and garden parties and that sort of thing. It is, it's amazing to go through them. I I, I love going through those kind of old photos anyway and seeing um, kind of snapshots in time. But yeah, they were, they were great. Mm. All right. Well, who knows if future editions will feature uh, a, a mighty chapter on the current England team as they head towards World Cup qualification. Uh, let's just get a quick reaction on that uh, on that note to Gareth Southgate's latest squad. What did you make of uh, Gareth Southgate's uh, list? Well, I mean, fine. Um, I think the only the, the two slightly controversial. Uh, omissions I guess were, were Jude Bellingham which you know I've got absolutely no problem with him getting a rest he's he's 18 years old and he's played 67 matches since the start of last season for, for club and country he hasn't 
started all of those, but and he didn't start that much during the Euros or play much during the Euros. But even the emotional drain on a on a kid, I've got no problem with him missing a trip to Andorra and and Hungary at home. Um, particularly as he wouldn't he wouldn't be guaranteed to start in both, and and we have other options there. Uh, and I guess Mason Greenwood is is the other who, yeah, is just Southgate keeps leaving him out and then saying. You know, I really like him, and I'm leaving him out because I want him to get more time at Young United, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And and right now, I have no issue with that whatsoever. I do think Greenwood is a fabulous footballer, and we should be looking to getting him in soon. But again, England have got so many options that it, it won't matter, or it shouldn't matter. It certainly won't matter in Andorra, and it, it shouldn't matter against Hungary. Mm, England currently leading Group I, four points clear of Albania, Hungary. Adana fourth place, six points behind Andorra are 13 points below England in fifth in the group. Uh, for Kaio Tomori getting a call-up again for the first time since November 2019, have to say I saw him in action on Sunday night against Atalanta. He was absolutely brilliant in what ended up being a 3-2 uh, Milan win, but in the weirdest of circumstances, it essentially was a 3-0 a uh, victory with a, a kind of weird coda on it. Um, and you, you may have seen him against uh, Liverpool, actually, for Milan in the Champions League match day one. Again, the 3-2, this time for Liverpool, but he was pretty excellent there. Uh, so uh, nice to see him getting that call-up. The, the only other Serie A-related England potential call-up is, is obviously Tammy Abraham, mm. who has started life under Jose Mourinho in pretty rampant fashion. Rampant. And... Um, that is a place in the England squad where there is, you know, there is position up for grabs. Dominic Calvert-Lewin, Danny Ings, Patrick Bamford, I guess, you know, Ollie Watkins. They've all had a little go. And if Abraham keeps it up in, in Rome, then he will get a chance, I think. Abraham's stats so far are one, two, three, four goals. Two of those in the Conference League. Yesterday, uh, in the 2-0 win over Empoli, he set up. Uh, Mkhitaryan, well, rather, he, he lashed a shot in, which I think came back off the crossbar and that and Mkhitaryan then put it away. But he looks lively. And, and again, for somebody who's just moved to a new country and sudden settling into a, a new team, I think his, his start's been pretty mm. exceptional. Mm. He's sort of, he's really, he seems to have really taken to it as well, kind of embraced it, you know, singing the anthem before the game. And yes. that's, I'm sure Mourinho has had a word in his ear about making the right impression and buying into all that sort of stuff but it's it's clearly working right Mourinho's done a pretty outstanding PR job himself since arriving in the capital still sweetness and light there for Roma who are back in the top four in case you're keeping track of course there'll be more Serie A news uh, in that uh, Totally Football Show European edition out on Tuesday Charlie sorry did you have any any thoughts that you felt the world needed to know about the England squad not hugely no um, mm. you know you, you do you look at the squad and you do still think that Central defence, maybe central midfield area looks a little light, but but that's not a you know a selection issue. That's more just kind of um, the players that are available to Southgate, and uh, you know I'm sure they'll have enough to navigate these games. But just kind of thinking a bit ahead to um, to the World Cup itself. Brilliant, right then. Well, international football it is then. Uh, get yourself ready on Tuesday with the Totally Football Show European uh, version, and we'll be back Thursday as per usual with our thoughts on events so far. Do hope you'll join us for that. That's it, though, for this totally. So many, many thanks to Daniel, to Lindsay, and to, of course, Charlie Eccleshare and uh, Charlie Producer, and you, listener. Possibly your good Charlie as well. Anyway, 
We're back Thursday. Have a great week. Until then, ciao. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and discover bonus content by following the Athletic UK Audio Plus on Apple Podcasts. Find out the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an Athletic Media Company production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.